Praise the Lord, I have been blessed. Nobody can take that from me. All right, I believe we're going to be in Numbers 32 at some point. If you want to go ahead and just find your place there, maybe make a mark. I'm going to read a lot of scriptures tonight. I'm going to read a lot leading up to our text. You don't have to turn to those, but... And then we're going to probably look at some together, I think, if, if time permits. So, Numbers 32... Yeah. So as we approach our 40th anniversary this November, we're, we're making application to our church by considering the children of Israel crossing into the promised land. It, it was 40 years until they did so. And so I think there's some applications we can draw from this. Our theme this year is from Deuteronomy 2.7, as you see on the banners. These 40 years, the Lord thy God has been with thee. Thou hast lacked nothing. And we're now several weeks into this series, so I'm not going to recap all that we've covered. But last week, we saw that God brought us out that he might bring us in. I believe God has even greater blessings in store for us on the other side of 40 years. Just talking to Brother Del Vecchio before service and just how... Sunday nights are dying off out there, and we have a lot of people out of town, and, and that's part of the decrease today, but uh, people squeezing in vacations before school starts, and, you know, let's just stay with it, amen? I, I, I just, I like the uniqueness of, of that, and um, we just need to stay faithful to God and His Word, and we need to be all in, not on the outside looking over at what it could be. And actually, that's what I want to talk about tonight, because God intends for all of His children to be brought all the way into the land of promise, to enjoy the promises of God, to enjoy the blessings of God. And so for this message tonight, I'm actually resurrecting a thought I gave four years ago at family camp. And of course, we're going to apply it differently. It's not going to be the same message, so if it sounds familiar, don't tune me out. Amen. Uh, pretend like you haven't heard it yet. But um, I believe it's an important observation tonight that is greatly, will greatly affect the outcome of our church going forward. Now, as I said, our text will be from Numbers 32, but before we read our text, I'm going to read several other passages leading up to our emphasis. The promise that God had a land prepared for the children of Israel to inherit went all the way back to Abram. Now, let that just sink in for a minute. Because we're talking about a promise that from this point dates back over 400 years. And it's important to keep this in mind. And here's the children of Israel. They're about to cross over the River Jordan. That's where we've been kind of building up to. We just haven't got there yet. Um, they're about to cross over the river into the land of promise. And for 400 years, this promise was still out there yet unfulfilled. I don't know if it was spoken about much while they were in Egypt. You might think perhaps it would be. Um, but you also might conclude that it's out of sight, out of mind. Right? I don't know. We're not really told because the Bible in one verse leaps about 400 years. And so I don't know if they were out of sight, out of mind, but the promise was still there. 
it just wasn't fulfilled yet. 400 years goes by down in Egypt. As God had foretold Abraham, he said, look, you're, you're going to sojourn down there, your, your descendants, for 400 years. Anyway, we've already seen that in a past message where Israel finally cried out to God, and, and God sent Moses to deliver the people out of Egyptian bondage. And remember, God brought them out that he might bring them in. And, and when, they, when they came out, and, and God took them away to where they were on the edge of Canaan land, and and they decided they wanted to send 12 spies in. This is a whole other message too. We already covered this. But remember that 10 of those spies, they brought back a bad report and, and they were so successful. I hate to use that term, but um, my vocabulary is very limited. And so uh, they were very successful at discouraging the entirety of the children of Israel. And, and it was so bad... With, with the news they brought back and the way they were able to influence the nation, with, with the exception of Joshua, Caleb, and probably Moses, maybe Aaron, I don't know, but um, for sure Joshua and Caleb, they were the ones saying, let's go. And, and it was so bad, these ten spies, that they requested to return back to Egypt. But that wasn't all. They also said, Either we go back to Egypt or I'd just rather die in this wilderness. In fact, the Bible says in Numbers 14, 2, and all the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron. And the whole congregation said unto them, Would God that we had died in the land of Egypt? Or would God that we had died in this wilderness? Well, they got their wish. God said in Numbers 14, verses 28 and 29, as truly as I live, saith the Lord, as ye have spoken in mine ears, so will I do to you. Your carcasses shall fall in this wilderness. So a generation had to die off. And Numbers thirty-two thirteen. this isn't our text yet, but it says, And the Lord's anger was kindled against Israel, and he made them wander in the wilderness forty years, until all the generation that had done evil in the sight of the Lord was consumed. And because of their unbelief, uh, they could not enter in the land. God gave them 40 years in the wilderness so that all those who were 20 years old and upward would die. I don't know how many that is in here tonight, but just imagine if God looked at this church and said, you know what, you're not showing the right kind of faith. You don't believe my word. All of you that are 20 years old and up, blessings aren't going to fall upon this church until you die. I mean, just imagine that. Not that God won't take care of us, but you won't get into the promised land. So this generation has to die. And, and those 20 years old had, and upward had to pass off the scene. Hebrews 3.19 says, So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. But don't you think as they're wandering in the wilderness that they were talking about the good land to come? Does that sound fair? That as they're, as they're in the wilderness... And they know maybe as a parent that we're going to die. But I could look at my children and say, you know what? God has something better for you. There will come a day that you will leave this wilderness and you will enter into the blessings of God. I'm sure that that was talked about. And no doubt they spoke to their children of the day that they would no longer be in the wilderness. I can imagine they would have longed for the day that they would enter in. Everybody with me? 
God told Moses from the burning bush, and I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and bring them up out of the land unto a good land and a large, a land that floweth with milk and honey. They, they knew that this was a land blessed by God. And even when the spies came back from searching out the land, remember they come back with proof. They've got the grapes. They, they brought back some fruit. And they had the evidence in their hand that what God had said was true and that that land was going to be worth inheriting. And the, the spies even said, Surely it floweth with milk and honey. Let me read you some other descriptions here. From Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 10 and 11, it says that they would have great and goodly cities, which thou buildest not, houses full of good things, which thou fillest not, and wells digged, which thou diggest not, vineyards and olive trees, which thou plantest not. And then God says, you're going to eat and be full. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 7 through 10, it says, For the Lord thy God bringeth thee into a good land, a land of brooks. I didn't write the book. A land of brooks, oh, of water, of fountains and depths that spring out of valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley and vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of oil, olive and honey, a land wherein thou shalt eat bread without scarceness, thou shalt not lack anything in it, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills thou mayest dig brass. When thou hast eaten and art full, then thou shalt bless the Lord thy God for the good land which he hath given thee. I mean... Just think about what they knew was in store. In Deuteronomy 11, verses 11 and 12, it says, But the land whither ye go to possess it is a land of hills and valleys, and drinketh water out of the rain of heaven, a land which the Lord thy God careth for. <laughs> the eyes of the Lord thy God are always upon it, from the beginning of the year even unto the end of the year. And in Ezekiel 20 and verse 6, as it's kind of looking back on some things, it says that that land that God had prepared for them was the glory of all lands. And this was a big deal. Many times, God had repeated that He was going to bring them into this great land. And, and, and how exciting that one day, we're going to cross over. And here they are. Now, picture it in your mind. Here they are after 40 years. And, and I don't know about you, but I always kind of get tickled when I think about that last person dying. You know, are they going, come on, come on, you can do it. Yay, we can go in. I don't know if they did that, but... Um, so here they are, just kind of picture it. They're, they're on the edge of the wilderness. They're, they're on the, 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 the edge of Jordan's river, the river Jordan. They can see the land. It's right over there. They're about to cross in after 400 years, after 40 years in the wilderness. How exciting. This event was going to make it all worth it. Now look with me in Numbers chapter 32, verses 1 through 5. Now the children of Reuben and the children of Gad had a very great multitude of cattle. And when they saw the land of Yazir and the land of Gilead, they are that, behold, the place was a place for cattle. The children of Gad and the children of Reuben came and spake unto Moses and to Eleazar the priests and, and unto the princes of the congregation, saying, Adaroth, Dibon, and Yazir, and Nimrah, and Heshbon, and Elielah, 
and Shebam and Nebo and beyond. Even the country which the Lord smote before the congregation of Israel is a land for cattle, and thy servants have cattle. Wherefore said they, if we have found grace in thy sight, let this land be given unto thy servants for a possession. Listen now, and bring us not over Jordan. Here we find Reuben and Gad, and if you'll read verse 33, it, it also includes the half-tribe of Manasseh. And these two and a half tribes, after all of that, get to the edge of the promised land, and they say, we don't want to go over. Now, that's 20% of Israel. Well, I didn't look at the numbers of the people, but just numbers of tribes, two and a half from 12 So it's right around 20% of Israel who would rather stay in the wilderness than enter the promised land. But what would cause them to want to do this? Why after 40 years and all the promises of how good the land would be, did the tribes of Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh stay on the other side? First of all, notice in verse 1 there it says, When they saw human reasoning began to enter their mind. Is everybody with me? It's kind of like lethargic in here. Human reasoning had entered their mind. They saw it was a place for cattle, and it sounds very reminiscent to what Lot saw when you read that account in Genesis 13 and in verse 10. It says, And Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even as the garden of the Lord. And what's interesting is, as you keep reading that account, it goes on to say this, that Lot chose him all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east, while Abraham continued to dwell in the land of Canaan. Now, clearly the east side of Jordan had some appeal to it. Would you agree with that? Uh, Lot looked up and said, it's well watered and makes sense to me. I got a bunch of cattle, and so uh, I want to go over there. There was an appeal to that that side of, of the Jordan. But just as it didn't end well for Lot, it's not going to end well for this two and a half tribes. When they viewed the land, they, they, uh, they concluded, as they looked over, they concluded, or excuse me, as they, as they looked upon the land they stood upon, they concluded, this is all we need right here. We're good. This land will be sufficient this land has enough grass for us and, and, and we'll be able to make a, a, a livelihood for us here. It, this, this needs to be where we stay. So they say in verse 5, let this land be given unto thy servants for a possession and bring us not over Jordan. Now we can't always know the mind of God. But I wonder what he felt at their request. You ever, you ever wonder those things? I mean, Here's 40 years has elapsed. They've been looking forward to this, so we thought. 400 years since the promise was given, it's all about to happen. And I wonder what God felt when they said, you know what, I don't want to go in. And I know now as a pastor how heartbreaking it is to want to see people, to want to see a church enter into the full blessings of God, but then witness those who just simply don't want to. I would think in a sense, it, the text doesn't say, but I would think in a sense it somehow broke the heart of God. 
and, and just imagine after 40 years of dwelling in the wilderness, 400 years since the promise, you get right to the edge of God's intended blessing for you, and you look at it and you turn your back on it and say to God, thanks but no thanks. Look at verse 19 of this chapter. For we will not inherit with them on yonder side, Jordan, or forward, because our inheritance is fallen to us on this side, Jordan, eastward. Now, this is interesting. They make it clear that they are not going to inherit with the rest of Israel on the other side of Jordan. And they say, because our inheritance has fallen to us on this side. But according to whom? At what point did God ever say the promised land was going to include inheritance on the east side? Proverbs 20, 21 says, An inheritance may be gotten hastily at the beginning, but the end thereof shall not be blessed. They saw with their eyes, they turned their backs on God for what He had for them. And listen, they turned their backs on what God had for them without ever seeing it. You know, I at least want to see what's behind door number three. Amen. Some of you are like, what show is that? But anyway, um, they didn't even see it first. And what they did know of the land is that it was a land that flowed with milk and honey. They they had the promise of God. Not to mention, I want you to listen to this, what God said about the land in Deuteronomy 11.15. And I will send grass in thy fields for thy cattle, that thou mayest eat and be full. God promised grass for their cattle. So why would they conclude it would be better grass on the east side? Did they know better than God? Well, they certainly acted like it. I used to think that this scenario was almost unfathomable. That you could actually get right to the edge and then turn your back on it. But the longer I live... And the longer I pastor, the more I realize this is nothing new. I wonder how many in our church, how many in our church are just fine and dandy right where we're at? You're just fine dwelling on the east side. Because listen, if we're not careful, we'll get stuck in that mindset. And we'll conclude, you know what, we're we're experiencing God's promise over here. These two and a half tribes tell God, no, we're not interested. To what? To God's blessing upon their lives. And they also divided the nation. I can only hope there aren't those who are looking at what's on the other side of 40 years and saying, no, thank you, but I'd rather stay right where we're at. Now, I want you to get this, please. Because by them saying, we want to stay over here, you know what they were really doing is they were identifying themselves with those that God condemned to die in the wilderness. They were essentially connecting themselves to the curse of God. I don't want to stay anywhere 
where it's just good enough where we're at. Understand, God didn't make these two and a half tribes cross over. He granted them their request. He allowed them to possess the land on the east side of Jordan, but it's clear God intended the land on the west side to be the possession. It was the promised land. Now, you may be thinking, what's the big deal? Is there really that big a difference? Well, according to Scripture, there is. The Bible makes a clear distinction between the two inheritances. Those on the east side, it wasn't God's inheritance for them. Notice in our text that nowhere did these two tribes go to God. They go to Moses. They go to Moses and ask, is it okay if we just stay over here? Now, God did grant them their request, and this will make more sense as we go, but I want you to turn to these passages with me, and I'll try to move quickly. But look at Numbers 34. Just follow along with these passages. They go in order. Numbers 34, verses 13 through 15. And I really want you to pick up on the language of Moses giving land and God giving land. In Numbers 34, beginning in verse 13, it says, And Moses commanded the children of Israel, saying, This is the land which ye shall inherit by lot, which the Lord God commanded to give unto the nine tribes and to the half-tribe. For the tribe of the children of Reuben, according to the house of their fathers, and the tribe of the children of Gad, according to the house of their fathers, have received their inheritance, and half the tribe of Manasseh have received their inheritance. The two tribes in the half-tribe have received their inheritance on this side, Jordan, near Jericho, eastward, toward the sun rising. Go to Deuteronomy chapter 3. And so we saw there, God makes a distinction between the tribes, the two and a half and the nine and a half. Deuteronomy chapter 3, let's read beginning in verse 12. And this land which we possessed at that time from Aorar, that's the best I can do, amen, which is by the river of Arnon and half Mount Gilead and the cities thereof, gave I unto the Reubenites, listen now, gave I, unto the Reubenites and to the Gadites and the rest of Gilead and all Bashan, being the kingdom of Og, have I, uh, gave I unto the half-tribe of Manasseh and, uh, excuse me, all the region of Argob with all Bashan, which was called the land of giants. Yair, the son of Manasseh, took all the country of Argob unto the coast of uh, Geshurai and Maagathai. <laughs> And called them after his own name. Uh, wow. Um, Bashan, Havoth, Yair, unto this day. And I gave Gilead unto Maker, uh, and unto the Reubenites, and unto the Gadites gave I Gilead, even unto the river Arnon, half the valley and the border, even unto the river uh, Jabok, which is the border of the children of Ammon. The plain also in the Jordan, uh, and Jordan, and the coast thereof, from uh, Chinnereth uh, unto even unto the sea, I practice these, I promise. Even the salt sea under Ashdoth, Pisgah, eastward. And I commanded thou at that time, saying, The Lord your God giveth you this land to possess it. Remember, God granted their request. And ye shall pass over arm before your brethren, the children of Israel, all that are meet for the war. But your wives and your little ones and your cattle, for I know that ye have much cattle, shall abide in your cities which I have given you. Until the Lord have given rest unto your brethren as well as unto you, until they also possess the land 
which the Lord your God hath given them beyond Jordan, and then ye shall return every man unto his possession which I have given you. Do you see the difference? God says, look, on this side, or Moses says, on this side, this is the land God has given, and then you can go back to your side that I gave you. And it's almost kind of humorous to me that in parentheses there, for I know you have much cattle. You catching that? It's almost like, yeah, I, I know your reasons. I don't have time to develop that, but I'm going to preach that one day because it just sounds really cool. Um, and so, anyway, Moses makes this distinction that he's the one that gave the two and a half tribes their inheritance, but God gave the nine and a half tribes their uh, which verse 20 makes absolutely plain. Go to Joshua chapter 1. Just a few more, and they'll go a little bit more quickly because the language won't be as tough. <clears throat> Joshua chapter 1, verses 10 through 15 say, Then Joshua commanded the officers of the people, saying, Pass through the host, and command the people, saying, Prepare you victuals, for within, for within three days ye shall pass over this Jordan, to go and possess the land which the Lord your God giveth you to possess it. And to the Reubenites and the Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh spake Joshua, saying, Remember the Lord which Moses, remember the word which Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, The Lord your God hath given you rest and hath given you this land. Your wives, your little ones, your cattle shall remain in the land which Moses gave you on this, on this side, Jordan. But ye shall pass over before your brethren armed and all the mighty men of valor and help them until the Lord hath given your brethren rest as he hath given you. And they also have possessed the land which the Lord your God giveth them. Then ye shall return unto the land of your possession and enjoy it which Moses, the Lord's servant, gave you on this side of Jordan toward the sun rising. So that's just like uh, the last passage there. And then Joshua chapter 12, verse 6. I, I cut out some of this for sake of time, but verse 6 says, Them did Moses, the servant of the Lord, and the children of Israel smite. And Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave it for a possession unto the Reubenites, the Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh. And so what we're seeing here is after all those that were defeated, Moses, it said that Moses is the one that gave the two and a half tribes their inheritance. Chapter 13, verses 7 and 8. Now therefore divide this land for an inheritance unto the nine tribes and the half-tribe of Manasseh, with whom the Reubenites and the Gadites have received their inheritance, which Moses gave them beyond Jordan eastward, even as Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave them. Uh, from, how far am I going here? Oh, just verse 7 and 8. So we're good there. So we see Moses is the one that gave them. Chapter 18, verses 6 and 7. We're almost there. Chapter 18, beginning in verse 6, says, Ye shall therefore describe the land into seven parts, and bring the description hither to me, that I may cast lots for you here before the Lord our God. But the Levites have no part among you, for the priesthood of the Lord is their inheritance. And Gad and Reuben and the half-tribe of Manasseh have received their inheritance beyond Jordan on the east side, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave them. Now, the last reference will be Joshua chapter 22, verses 1 through 9. Then Joshua called the Reubenites and the Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh and said unto them, Ye have kept all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you and have obeyed my voice and all that I commanded you. Ye have not left your brethren these many days unto this day, but have kept the charge of the commandment of the Lord your God. And now the Lord your God hath given rest unto your brethren as he promised them. Therefore now return ye and get you 
unto your tents and unto the land of your possession, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you on the other side, Jordan. But take diligent heed to do the commandment and the law, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, charged you to love the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, and to keep his commandments, and to cleave unto him, and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. So Joshua blessed them and sent them away, and they went unto their tents. Now, to the one half of the tribe of Manasseh, Moses had given possession in Bashan, but unto the other half thereof gave Joshua among their brethren on this side, Jordan, westward. And when Joshua sent them away also unto their tents, then he blessed them. And he spake unto them, saying, Return with much riches unto your tents, and with, every, uh, with very much cattle and silver, and with gold, and with brass, and with iron, and with very much raiment. Divide the spoil of your enemies with your brethren. And the children of Reuben and the children of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh returned and departed from the children of Israel out of Shiloh, which is in the land of Canaan, to go into the country of Gilead, to the land of their possession, whereof they uh, were possessed according to the word of the Lord by the hand of Moses. And so we see as we read these, you may think that this is simply semantics. Because we read God gave them. Um, that land. We read Joshua gave them some land on the other side, and, and you may think this is all a lot to do with nothing, but I think it's clear. I think there's a lesson here for us because the Bible makes it absolutely clear that Moses is the one that gave them that land, and God's the one that gave them that land. Is everybody with me? And, and there's a lesson here because the Bible tells us all the things that happened unto them were for our ensamples, for our admonition. Paul wrote that. And we can have the land God has promised, or we can claim our own inheritance on the east side within the wilderness. And, and we, can just, we can just be honest tonight, and we, could, and we could realize that as individuals, many of us are not where we need to be. Many of us, our families are not where they need to be. And if we're not careful, our church will not be where it needs to be. And we get to the edge of what God has promised, but what we do is we choose to stay where we're at. We know there's an even better land. We know we will be blessed even more. We know that there's an even closer walk with the Lord, and yet we just can't get over there. Why? Well, we've already established their problem was they were using their physical sight. And if we reason the things of God which are with our natural sight, our eyes will betray us. Which is why Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, 7, for we walk by faith, not by sight. And you say, well, that's not really a problem. Listen, it is a problem because as we begin to cast a vision and we begin to say, look... We, we, we need to get out. We, we, need to, we, we need a bigger facility. We need more parking. We, we need Sunday school space. We need all these things. And, and what we're going to end up doing if we're not careful is we'll look right here where we're at on a night like tonight and say, well, I don't really see the need. Or, or we'll, we'll look at the hassle. They, they were already there. No doubt they had already kind of had their cattle where they kind of wanted them while they were encamped there. And, and no doubt they kind of looked at that and thought, man, we're doing pretty good. What's the point in crossing over? What a hassle. <laughs> uh, it was a hassle to get the pews out here. But anyway, uh, what a hassle. 
Their other problem was they were content with the blessings they already had. Now, I need to hammer that point. They were content, the two and a half tribes, with the blessings they already had. We're good. We're good. And this is what causes many churches to never go any further than where they're at right now. I'm, I'm content. I'm happy. I told you last time we were in this series, I think it was last week, I don't know. Listen, I can make a comfortable living the rest of my life just right where we're at. But it's not about that. It's about reaching souls. It's about reaching Rapid City. It's about seeing families salvaged. It's about seeing marriages restored. And it's about seeing children saved. And, and listen, we can get real comfortable right here. And God intends to take us fully over as a church. I would say this tonight. I believe the previous generation entered in. And now we need to do the same. But if we decide to stay on the other side... We will not fully experience all that God has for us. God has a place for the next generation to dwell. Deuteronomy 12, 9 through 12 says, For ye are not as yet come to the rest, to the inheritance, which the Lord your God giveth you. But when ye go over Jordan and dwell in the land which the Lord your God giveth you to inherit, and when he giveth you rest from all your enemies round about, so that ye dwell in safety... Then there shall be a place which the Lord your God shall choose to cause his name to dwell there. Thither shall ye bring all that command you, uh, your burnt offerings, your sacrifices, your tithes, your heave offerings of your hand, and all your choice uh, vows which ye vow unto the Lord. And ye shall rejoice before the Lord your God, ye and your sons and your daughters and your men servants and your maidservants and the Levite that is within your gates. For as much as he had no part nor inheritance with you. Now, according to that passage, there is going to be rest. There's going to be safety. There's going to be joy if we dwell where God has prepared for us. Now, because I want you to get this. I had to read that verse to say this. The two and a half tribes that stayed on the other side and said, We don't want that inheritance. We don't want God's blessing. We just want to stay here and be content. Those two and a half tribes were the first ones that were conquered. They were not safe. Second Kings chapter 10 verses 31 through 33 say, But Jehu took no heed to walk in the law of the Lord God of Israel with all his heart, for he departed not from the sins of Jeroboam, which made Israel to sin. In those days, God began to cut Israel short. And Hazael smote them in the coast of Israel from Jordan eastward. All the land of Gilead, the Gadites, and the Reubenites, and the Manassites. From uh, Aor, Aror, which is by the river Arnon, even Gilead and Bashan. And then in First Chronicles chapter 5, verses 25 and 26. And they transgressed against the God of their fathers and went a-whoring after the gods of the people of the land whom God destroyed before them. And the God of Israel stirred up the spirit of Pul, king of Assyria, and the spirit of Tilgath-Pilneser, king of Assyria. And he carried them away, even the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, and brought them unto Hala and Habor and Hara, and to the river Gozan unto this day. If we choose to stay where we're at and not cross over, then according to these passages, we're going to be more vulnerable. God may begin to cut us short. 
God may even carry us away if we fail to go forward. As I hope you've kind of gathered my heart now, I have been very convicted for some time, but I'm, I'm really making it known to you now as we enter into the crossover of the 40th year. I believe with all my heart, our church is at a decision point. We must decide whether we're going to cross over or stay where we're at. Was the grass good on the east side? Yeah. I mean, it was enough for their cattle anyway. It must have been. Was there life on the east side of Jordan? Yes. Needs would be met. They could build houses and all that. But wouldn't you agree that what God had prepared, prepared for them would have been far better? Remember that good is the enemy of best. There was abundant life in the promised land where they didn't even need to build, furnish, plant, or dig. So why should we desire where God has not promised? I know there's blessings here. We've seen it. But don't you sense that there's more over there? Don't you sense that? Don't you feel that conviction and that stirring that says, you know what? Man, God's been good. But there's more. And I know we could be comfortable. And I know we can be content. And I know that God's doing great things. And, and listen, uh, I'm, I'm happy about that. But that's not what I want at the end of my life. I don't want to stand before God and say, well, Lord, the people were just so content on the east side, we never went forward. We must cross over. I don't want to be content. I don't want to finish my life in the wilderness. I want us to cross over and see the good land that God has prepared for us. By the way, let me tell you this. The 12 stones that they took out of the Jordan River, we'll look at this later. Those 12 stones, guess where they placed them as a memorial? On the west side. Not on the east side. Where was their memorial? Oh, that's right. They didn't have one. I believe the generation before us had their memorials. We're still reaping the benefits of that if you're around my age. But I want to tell you, it's time for this generation to build some memorials. I hope you're with me. I say, let's do this thing. Let's not just stay on the edge of God's best, but let's leave good behind and let's get in on God's best. Will you cross over? Will our church cross over? I want the land that God has in store for us. Let's pray. God, we love you tonight, and I pray that the thought was communicated effectively by the Holy Spirit that we are at a decision point that we need to decide whether we're going to grow content or if we will cross over. And so, Lord, as we surpass 40 years as a church, I hope that we're not like Reuben, and Gad, 
and the half-tribe of Manasseh. That we don't just say we want to stay where we're at, but that we will trust God for the land that He has prepared, where the milk and the honey flow. God help us just to unite, be unified of one accord, to go forward for the cause of Christ. I ask it for His sake. Amen. Let's stand, please.